You're listening to The Promised Church's Message of the Week. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Thank you, man. We're going to just pray and uh, invite, invite the Lord to speak to our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your presence in this house. Lord, thank you for this spiritual family and what you're doing here in this, in this family and, and in this nation, Lord, and even in their participation in what you're doing in the nations of the earth. Thank you, God. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Change our lives, Lord. Bring us up by the Spirit of God to the mountain of the Lord that we may meet with you, that you may send us back down into the valley see your glory in Jesus name amen amen it's a privilege to be here with you guys this morning um, we we just got into the states a little less than two weeks ago um, as as brother Aaron mentioned we've been in Iraq now we'll make nine years this fall and uh, it's it's really been a joy to meet a brother Aaron brother Chris who's not here today and really supernaturally the way it all happened uh i won't get into the story for the sake of time and then of course brother theo pastor theo who i've known now for i think like 10 years it's been about 10 years so it's 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 beautiful the way god brings everything together uh and i thank you guys so much for standing with us as as a ministry as a family god does everything in the context of family so thank you guys for standing with us your family your spiritual family Many families that make up one family standing with our family to see the families of the, of the earth in Iraq impacted with the glory of the gospel. That's a lot of families. <laughs> and so we're grateful for that. And so if you would today, you guys can turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Today, I, I want to share a message this morning with you guys on the mountain of the Lord. And... Uh, hopefully provoke some of you at least to maybe to stay and if not to watch if it is recorded part two the second message which is going to be on Jesus in the valley Jesus on the mountain and Jesus in the valley before before we moved our family to Iraq we we were seeking the Lord and 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 the Lord spoke to us Um, for years we were involved in ministry of course in Chicago and doing things in the nation's short term and and the Lord started to speak to us around 2010 about relocating our family to the Middle East and then 2011 specifically about Iraq and the Middle East. But I remember months just before moving, we were seeking his face in a time of prayer and fasting and I kept hearing two words, uh, two words. And, and those words were ahead of you are ecstasy and agony, glory and suffering, the mountain and the valley. And I believe it's important for us as believers to have a proper understanding of the scriptures and what it is that God calls us into. It's it's very easy as Christians to, to adopt a paradigm or a lens on the word of God that is in keeping with maybe our preferences or our maybe our culture or maybe what we're going through. We can see things through a particular lens or through a particular bent. But we know through the word of God that Jesus is the lens. Jesus is the paradigm through which we can understand God. 
We can understand our own identities. We can understand our call and how that call fits into God's greater narrative. Amen. And we see all throughout the scriptures this theme. God speaks through themes often. And one of the themes that we see in scripture is the theme of the mountain of the Lord. We see the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of time. And according to Ezekiel 28, the prophetic passage that speaks about Lucifer or the devil and what he was before he fell. It says, you were in the Garden of Eden on the holy mountain of the Lord. Then, of course, we see later on in the scriptures when God calls Abraham the father of our faith. And that great event, that great testing of his faith that was a prophetic illustration of what was to come. When he asked him to sacrifice his son, he says, take your son up to the mountain. There I will provide a sacrifice. There I will speak to you. We see when God calls Moses to deliver his people from slavery, how he calls him up to the mountain of God. And on the mount of God, he sees the burning bush. And again, he delivers the people and he says, let my people go to Pharaoh that they may go up and worship me on the mountain. That they would covenant with me on Sinai. We see the prophets of old, Elijah and others, when God would speak to them, God would take them up to the mountain of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord represented the place where God dwelt. And we see in the end of time when Jesus returns, no matter what your end times perspective may be. We were talking about this in the airport in Basra in Iraq. End time perspectives. No matter what your end time perspective may be, Jesus is returning and the picture is clear That the heavens will come down and marry the earth. The new Jerusalem. The idea there is that there will be a mountain of the Lord. God will dwell with man forevermore. He will marry the heavens and the earth. And this theme continues on through the gospels and the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus healed the sick. All their sicknesses and diseases he healed There in the valley, and then it says that when he saw the crowds and his disciples, he started to go up the mountain. And his disciples followed him up the mountain. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, when he saw that his disciples came to him, he sat down on the mountain. He's taking the position or the seat of God, God the Son. The same picture we see in the Old Testament when God spoke from the mountain and it was trembling and on fire and he spoke to the people and the people fear in their hearts and he told Moses you go speak to him and so he sits and his disciples come and they surround him and he says and then he opens his mouth and he begins to speak we see the mountain of God in, in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus is up on a mountain praying and he looks down into the valley and he sees his disciples whom he had sent away in the lake and the storm hits, right? And, 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 and they're afraid for their lives. Jesus is on the mountain of the Lord in communion with the Father. And he can see down into the lake, into the valley. We see in Matthew 28, after Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead, he calls his disciples to a mountain that he directed them to come meet him at. And it is there that he meets with them. He communes with them. He gives them promises and he commissions them to go down into the valley of the nations of the earth and to bring the gospel. Mountains and valleys is what we're called to in this life. Jesus, God in the flesh, 
He is the everlasting God, the word of God who wraps himself in human flesh. He marries the heavens and the earth, even in the revelation of the incarnation. Sometimes we have an escapist mentality and we just want to go somewhere that is anything like the earth. But God, in fact, wants to renew the earth and bring his glory to the earth. Amen. That's why we're in Iraq. We could have went to Hawaii, but it's too close to heaven. Right? We, we want to see the glory. And that's always, listen, that's always been the way of God. And we see in Matthew chapter 16, the same exact picture. Jesus, there's a revelation that takes place in Matthew chapter 16. And then Jesus takes his disciples up to the mountain and reveals himself to them there. And we find out what it is that happens when we meet with God on the mountain of the Lord. Amen. So Matthew 16, we'll go through this quick to look at Matthew 17. Matthew 16, Jesus is, is speaking with his disciples. They've already seen things that have not been performed. Definitely not to this degree or intensity. Whether it's miracles, they've seen his life, they've, they've watched him. And Jesus asks them a question. He says, what do the people say about me? And of course, there's all kinds of different responses. Denominations started a long time ago, right? Everyone sees something in Jesus. Maybe they see something in Jesus that has directly impacted them, whether it's Jeremiah or, or, or Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. It's easy to see something in Jesus depending upon how he may have impacted you. He says, but what do you say about me? And of course, Peter has the great revelation. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are all those things that people say about you, but you are much more than those things. You are the embodiment of the king. You are the son of God on earth. And every promise that was given from the beginning of creation to the end is fulfilled in you. And then Jesus says, yes, and I must identify with the cross. The way that I make that a reality for you and the way that you can appropriate me and know me is through this event of the cross. And of course, that was offensive to Peter, as it would have been to us if we were in the same situation. Because Peter had high hopes, but he didn't understand the ways of God. Peter had seen the acts of God like the sons of Israel, but he did not understand yet the ways of God like Moses did. And so, of course, there was some offense in his heart. Now, it's interesting because even in the Middle East, I know talking to Brother Aaron, one of the things that we were talking about when they've come now a couple of times and we've had great times. He, he may have shared some of the testimonies. I won't for the sake of time, but just this morning I was reading through our, our, our WhatsApp thread of different people that we follow up with through social media all over Iraq, wanting to meet believers, wanting to get their hands on Bibles, having dreams and visions, different ones that have been healed, encountering Jesus in different ways. But there's something very unique. There's so many Muslims that we've met that have encountered the power of God, the raw power of God. And they don't have the verbiage or the words to try to explain what it is that happened. But when we start to talk about the cross, there's an offense that comes up inside the heart because Islam itself is built upon lies concerning who God is. The greatest lie 
that we find in the word of God and in human history began at the beginning of time. When the enemy, the devil, lied to Adam and Eve concerning who God was. And so when Jesus comes, God sends his son in human flesh. Right? We see in, in, in the epistle of John, he says, we don't just talk to you about some generic God. We're, we're talking to you about the one that we've touched and we've seen and we've heard and we've spoken to. God comes, he lays aside the privileges to glory and he wraps himself in human flesh and he comes and he reveals God to man. But the cross offends. But the cross is day one of creation. God is not interested in rehabilitating Muslims or Americans or those that are born in the Bible belt God is interesting in the, he's interested in the new creation. There is death and there is life. He brings us from death unto life. Right? He's not into behavior modification. He's into a transformed heart. Jesus stepped out of eternity and came into our space and time. So that we would be empowered by faith in the cross and the power of the spirit to live as eternal people in space and time. We are those that the scripture speaks about in the book of Hebrews that says, those of you who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. That's who we are. And there's something about the cross that offends. And the reason that it offends is because it must do away with us that God can be all in all. The cross is day one of creation. Day one of creation, God speaks into the darkness and into the unordered chaos. And he says, let there be light. The psalmist says, it is only in your light that I have light. It is in thy light that I see light. God, I need you to shine your light into my heart to know what it is in my heart that you're seeking to transform or to bend or to change. I can't even go into my own heart and try to figure that out. It's a deep and dark and deceptive place apart from the light of God. The message of the cross is day one of creation. And it's upon that foundation that every other day is established. When God creates order out of chaos, when he creates a habitat, for Adam and Eve to live in the midst of his glory. Heavens meeting the earth. The overlap of heaven and earth in the Garden of Eden. He builds day upon day upon day. The second one doesn't do away with the first. It adds to the first. The first day is let there be light. And the first event of salvation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And how he identifies with the cross. That's the gospel. And of course, Peter's offended by it, but Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you in verse 17. He says, but I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Of course, his name means rock, but it's not like he was the archbishop of the Catholic church. And he's, he's not talking about building his church upon Peter. Although Peter is an embodiment of the very foundation, those that go low to serve. 
The rock is the statement that Jesus Christ is the son of God. But then he says, in verse 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? But then he says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man in the glory of his kingdom. And then chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Six days later, he, you know, Matthew is not just randomly putting details into the word of God for us. He's intentionally speaking in such a way that all of his readers and hearers in that day would understand any good Jewish boy that went to the synagogue on a Saturday morning would have understood that makes seven. One plus six is seven. And God is the God of seven. And when he creates the universe and he creates the cosmos and the world, he does it in seven days. And that seventh day is the day of rest. And every, every day that precedes the seventh day is a day that had a beginning and an end, meaning it had a start point and it had a completion point. But on the seventh day, it never says the sun sets. Every day of creation, one through six, it says, and there was day and there was night. The sun rose and the sun set. There was a beginning and there was an end to it. And then phase two came into place and phase three. But when day seven comes, it says that on that day, the Lord rested. He brought his creation and everything he did into the seventh day, into the glory and the power of the seventh day. And upon that day, the sun, it never says, it never says the sun sets on the seventh day. Day seven, God takes his people up to the mountain and he's transfigured before them. Day one, they must understand the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the challenges in churches, you know, I know that when I was in the U.S., I didn't used to think like this before I moved to Iraq. I didn't used to think like this often, I should say. Generally speaking in the U.S., if you're a church member, it's assumed you're born again, right? I've met more Muslims that have seen Jesus, seen Jesus, by far than I've ever met Americans that have seen Jesus. But out of all the ones that I've met that have seen Jesus, there's a lot of them that are not born again. They've seen Jesus, but they're not born again. God's goal is for us to see Jesus. But not for a moment or for a glimpse. But to dwell upon the mountain of the Lord so that by seeing him, we ourselves will be transformed into the same likeness and image. Amen. And it says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And of course, we know this story. It's there that Moses and Elijah appear and they begin to talk to him. In Luke's account, it says they begin to speak to him about his departure. 
Jesus is having a meeting with Moses and Elijah, the fulfillment of the prophets, the law and the prophets, there on a mountain. And then Peter, the same Peter who had a, such a majestic revelation just a week ago, he says, it is good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles here. Now, we have to understand tabernacles were, a tabernacle is where God dwelt. There was one tabernacle, and after the tabernacle, they had a temple. And that is the place that housed the glory of God, where they would go meet with God. Now, we know in the New Covenant, that's no longer made up by buildings, but we, when we come together collectively as a family, by faith in Jesus, from different backgrounds and past religions and ages and whatever the case may be, we all have different pasts. We come together, we collectively become living stones that house the presence of God. But Peter says, it is right for us to build the three tabernacles here. And while he, was, while he is still speaking, a bright cloud comes and overshadows them. And it says, the voice says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces terrified. And Jesus comes and touches them saying, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Or maybe some versions may say they saw only Jesus. The mountain of the Lord is defined by that statement. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Your number one call in life is to dwell with God upon the mountain of the Lord. But there are a couple of lessons that we learn in the glory of God. Right? There are things God is teaching us in the glory of God. It's there upon the mountain that they learn several things. Number one, and I want to just go through these few things here for the next several minutes, and then we want to pray. The number one thing you learn on the mountain of the Lord is that the goal of the mountain of the Lord is to encounter the Lord. It's to behold the Lord. Jesus takes them up on the seventh day, sixth day after the new creation. Faith in the revelation of Jesus and the power of the event of the cross. He takes them up to the mountain so that he may be transfigured before them. God's goal in your life is to reveal himself to you and in you and then through you. Jesus is the goal. But it's interesting because the way God chose to reveal himself to us, the way we understand God and we, the fact that we understand certain things about God that, for example, Muslims don't understand, necessitates a son revealing a father so that a father can reveal a son by the Spirit. Let me explain what I mean. God does everything he does in the context of family. Peter has a revelation of Jesus. He says, you are the Messiah in chapter 16, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you're blessed because my father showed you. And we know when we read, we continue to read through the scriptures, by the spirit who was the living agent who showed you. 
There was, there was a lie that was birthed with the fall and disobedience to the living God in the garden by the serpent that distorted the reality of God. Mankind was blind to God, so mankind built altars. Religions have spawned. It says in the book of Judges, everyone did right what was in their own eyes. The knowledge of the tree or, or, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could be just that. Humanity taking the seed of God and determining what is good and what is bad. We determine what is right and what is wrong. We determine what is God and what is not. We set the definition. Mankind has, had lost the living witness and the living definition and the true living experiential knowledge of who God was. So God wanted to solve that by sending who? His son. He chooses to bring mankind back to himself by introducing to mankind God as family. That is very offensive in the Middle East. We worship one God. And our, the one God that we worship is Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's on the mountain of the Lord that mankind, number one, beholds him. The goal of creation is worship. And as they do, they're transfigured by him. And they understand God is all about family. In fact, God is the reference point for family. God doesn't create family on earth solely for the purpose of procreation and so that Adam and Eve wouldn't be bored. Right? God, God he creates family so that there could be an, a, a human, although imperfect, mirror image of what he is like. We're called to be image bearers. We're image bearers. And as image bearers, what does God create? A family. He creates Adam and he says it is not good that he's alone. In fact, what does God gift his son when he returns? What will God gift his son? A bride. And what does the father receive out of it? Sons and daughters. It is on the mountain of the Lord that you realize God is much more interested in just you. You are part of a family. God does things within the context of family. And if we don't, if we don't choose to live with the Lord on the mountain of the Lord, we will never understand the value of family. The third thing that they learned in the presence of God, in the glory of God, is that we should not idolize men. Because what happens when they see Moses and Elijah? Now listen, I grew up in Chicago. When we were young kids growing up in Chicago in the 90s, we idolized Jordan. I have conversations with my kids. They say, who's better? I say, listen, there's no, don't bring up LeBron and the others. Don't bring them up a conversation. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. <laughs> Flesh and blood. <laughs> but listen, you know, growing up, you know, kids have idols. Sometimes, unfortunately, they grow up and continue to have idols. You know, they have these stars and people that they look up to. And sometimes we put so much stock in men. If you grow up as a young Jewish boy or girl in Jesus' time, if you were Peter, James, or John, or you're hanging out in the schoolyard, listen, there's nobody greater than Moses and Elijah. 
You're a nation that's being oppressed, right? You've had a losing record, if you want to compare it to sports, for a while now. But you, you think back to the glory. Yeah, but we had Moses. We may be under Roman rule right now and being, a, we may be oppressed right now. We were sent back from exile because we were disobedient. Sure, the second temple is not as glorious as the first one. Sure, the Pharisees are oppressing us, but we had Elijah on our team. He was one of ours. So when they see Moses and Elijah, immediately we have to build three tabernacles. God, you deserve all of our attention in the person of Jesus. And then Moses and then Elijah, you have your place too. And listen, these are anointed men of God. These are not just random people in God's big story. These are powerful men of God. But how often it is as humans that we misplace, we put misplaced hope and expectations in people that will fail us. It's only on the mountain of the Lord that you learn the lesson in the midst of the, of the glory of God. I cannot put my hope in people in a way that's only expected for me to put in God. The majority of our offenses and pains and hurts and disappointments in life, our relationship with our spouses, church hurt. I feel like, in the, listen, living in Iraq, I feel like these last couple of years, I'm hearing so many stories of people deconstructing. What is it called? Deconstructing their faith. People are deconstructing their faith. And when you, when you hear these stories, all, almost all of them have one thing in common. They were offended at some point by some other Christian or in some other context of ministry. And now they want to deconstruct what they believe about God and, and, and reassess and recreate a different theology for themselves. And what's okay and what's not okay. And God is love, so... It must be okay to be married to another man or, you know, God is forgiving or, or maybe there is no heaven or there is no heaven. They create for themselves a theology that props up their offense. But if they would just allow Jesus, the merciful one, to take him by the hand and walk him up the mountain and reveal to them the glory of God. They would learn the lesson in the presence of God. It's only in the glory of God that you will learn. I cannot place my hopes. I cannot pin unrealistic expectations on my spouse or my brother or my sister. They're humans like me. And we honor and we love and we serve. But so often that Achilles heel that gets us as Christians is we put so much trust upon those that will at some point be human, be like us. It's only in the glory of God that we learn. Jesus is worthy of all of our hope and all of our trust. Foolish is the man who puts his trust in man. And then we see when the father begins to speak in the cloud... The fear of the Lord grips them. John, the apostle of love, the beloved apostle, sees Jesus again in this glorified form. In Revelation chapter 1, as an old man, he had walked with God. He had seen him with the eyes of his heart all of his life. He had seen him on the mountain in Matthew 17, and again he sees him. The resurrected God man and he falls on his face like a dead man. 
The fear of the Lord is revealed upon the mountain of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord. It says about Jesus that the sevenfold spirit of God animated his his life in Isaiah chapter 11. But it says, but he delighted in the fear of the Lord. It's on the mountain of the Lord that we see God as he is. And when we see God as he is, we recognize how holy he is, how beautiful he is. And it's on the mountain of the Lord that he touches us. He touches us. Jesus touched them on the mountain. And they got up. And when they got up, it all begins and ends with the same thing. It begins with a vision of Jesus transfiguring before them. They see, it's like if you take a diamond and you put it up in the sun. And as you turn it, you see different shades of 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 color coming through that diamond from every angle it's there's another shade and each one complements the other and it's all beautiful as Jesus is transfigured before them when they look at him from from different angles and perspectives they see that he's holy but he's merciful and humble they see that he's powerful but he's meek he's loving he's un, he's 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 kind he's patient with us he's majestic It begins with a vision of Christ being transfigured before them and it ends with a vision of Jesus only. Jesus only. And in between, in between, they learn lessons in the glory of God. They learn lessons. The fear of the Lord. They learn lessons. Freedom from idolatry by placing expectations on people that are not realistic only to be disappointed They're free from offense. Preventative measures. On the mountain of the Lord. And this is important. And this is why this is important. Because only those. That dwell upon the mountain of the Lord. Can come back down the mountain. And go into the valley. And bring deliverance. And bear the image of God in a way that gives him glory. To see his kingdom and word established in their generation. David says in the famous psalm in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I have no wants. That sounds like somebody who's dwelling with the Lord on the mountain of the Lord. When you're in the presence of God and the glory of God, you're not thinking about your problems. That's why a moment ago, Pastor Aaron had us, you know what? Let's reconnect our hearts to the Lord. Let's reconnect our hearts to the Lord. Let's set the eyes of our hearts and our affections by by an act of our will right now, no matter how we feel, upon Jesus. Because when we do, those worries and those people saying things about us and those hardships and that adversity that demonic attack against you all those things fade into the background we need an encounter with Jesus on the mountain to come back down into the valley David says the Lord is my shepherd I have no wants but then he goes on to say even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death next service we'll talk about descending of God in the valley But it's so important for us to re-covenant with Jesus concerning our commitment to him and his commitment to us. It's important to do that. Communion, in fact, is a consistent reminder of that.
You guys can stand. Because today we want to we want to we want to recovenant our hearts on that note. And if in a unique way God is speaking to you about the mountain of the Lord or if, he, or if he's been speaking to you prophetically even through this imagery of mountain or coming up with him or needing to to reconnect your heart with him or having your vision recalibrated I want to encourage you to come up and we'll pray with you or just come up and seek the Lord here at the front. Jesus chooses communion. A meal. Something that we do multiple times a day. Not not coincidentally or by happenstance, intentionally. And he says, every time you gather together, you eat a meal. And you look at those elements. Remember me. Remember the event of the cross. Remember the fact that on the seventh day, after the new birth that I've given you, meaning the goal of salvation is fellowship with me. Fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Son by the Spirit. Remember that. As a way of life, we're called to recovenant our hearts to the Lord. And this morning we want to do just that. So I want to encourage you guys to come up. Every time we read through church history, when we read through church history about men and women of God that have made an impact in the generation, whether it's the John G. Lakes or the Maria Woodworth Edders or the Moody's or the whoever it may be, we can find a moment in their life where they met God in a unique way in their own mountaintop experience. We need to encounter God to get free from the fear of man because of the fear of God. Those that fear God will not fear men. We need to encounter God on the mountain of the Lord to absolve us of all of the distractions and, and, and constant opportunities that are presented before us in, in this day and this generation. get out our hearts from from any any space in there where the enemy may try to come in with offense we see even with these these last elections from the right and from the left how much hope this nation and even often the church has pit upon men and systems morning we want to remember afresh thank you Lord that you invite us in so many different ways to recovenant our hearts with you to recommit our hearts to you 
to keep the main things the main things. Thank you for this beautiful theme in the scriptures of the mountain of the Lord. God, I, I, I ask you for myself, my family, for this, for this house, for this entire house and every, every family represented in this spiritual house and for the new work up the road, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that this would be a work that is immersed and baptized in the presence of God, encounter with the Lord on the mountain of the Lord. Real encounter. Real encounter. Thank you, God. Real encounter. When we see you in all of your glory, not just one element of you, Lord, but seeing you in all of your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Where the fear of the Lord fills our hearts. That we would love you and obey you and serve you. Where we're free from offense, Lord, and, and the hurt that is so easy to stumble into and across, God, we would not set our hopes in an unhealthy way upon man. But you would keep our hearts in honor and service towards them where we see Jesus only. Jesus only. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Breathe fresh life, Lord. Breathe fresh life upon this church, upon this house. Thank you, God, for the, for the word of the gospel that's in their hearts and in their mouths thank you Lord for the marriage of a fiery word of the cross that brings people into the living experience of the day of rest thank you Lord that it's that it's not an either or issue but it's a both and issue thank you Lord for the message of the cross on day one the fiery message of the cross the foundation of our faith that brings people into a living experience on the mountain of the Lord 